Good morning. I'd like to add my welcome to everyone joining us at our online service today. We are so pleased you took out time to be with us. I hope you've been encouraged as we've worshipped together. Thank you Erica and Evan for leading us from your homes today. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, please explore our YouTube channel and our website. We'd love to connect with you in other ways as well. While we can't meet you in person right now, please email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com if you'd like someone to call you or to pray with you. And if you live in the New Hampshire Seacoast area, you can always let us know if there are any practical needs that you have that we can help you with. For those that have been joining us on YouTube over the last few weeks, you may be wondering why you're hearing so many British people speaking at a church in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Ian on Easter Sunday, Nick last week, and now me. Well, it's just us Brits doing our part to help us all get through this challenging time. We've found that at times like this, British accents can really help. Most of us are managing to get through the lockdown. Sure, we're bored, we're inconvenienced, and we're lonely. And I know we are all craving company. But for many others, the human tragedy is profound. We've all heard stories of lives and livelihoods and dreams destroyed by the virus. I heard just in the past week of people dying in the streets and villages in Nepal because of border closings, food shortages and the cessation of all public transport. Around 2 million Nepali day workers cross into India each day. Many have been stuck at the closed Indian border with no work and no means of providing for themselves. Much closer to home, our sister church in Providence, Rhode Island, the Potter's House, serves a large community of undocumented immigrants. This broad swathe of the population of Providence, which is a coronavirus hotspot, has no access to public benefits or support. Well, I want to praise God because members of our church family in those places have stepped up to help meet the need. In Nepal, Madan, who leads our churches there, is directing efforts to distribute emergency supplies to those most at need in local villages. And in Providence, Evie Rodriguez, a member of the Potter's House, has mobilised the church to collect and deliver food to needy families. Starting from her home and serving just a few families in her neighbourhood, last week the church helped over 250 families. This work has caught the imagination of local restaurants and stores who've stepped up to help as well. Evie's even got the attention of the government. She's met with the governor's office to find more ways to harness resources to meet the growing need. And church, I chose these two examples because they directly involve us. Thanks to your generosity, we've been able to play a very small part in helping both Madan and Evie in their endeavours. It's so encouraging when we can use our resources to directly help folk at home as well as those in other nations. Which reminds me, we have an opportunity as a church to support The Chase Home, a Portsmouth non-profit working with at-risk youth and their families. They need help with groceries for a number of families that they support. And they are delighted that over the last couple of weeks we've already been able to meet most of their grocery needs. But the support needed is ongoing. 
So if you're able to help, please drop off any grocery supplies you can spare inside the service entrance of the church building and we'll make sure they get passed on to Chase Home. I know that most of us in New Hampshire aren't facing the critical humanitarian crises like the ones I just described. But even for us, the sense of loss of personal control over our lives is enormous especially for the increasing numbers of those in our church family who've lost jobs in the recent days. The coronavirus has removed our autonomy. It has undermined our sense of safety and it has exposed the fragility of our humanity. Our sense of human invincibility is being challenged like never before. And this vulnerability has exposed the desperate need humanity has for there to be meaning in all of this, to be part of something bigger than us, for there to be some kind of meaningful ending to this story. The good news I want to remind all of us this morning is that there is someone greater than us. There is someone who has shared in our suffering and pain and who promises to be with us in our deepest crises. There is someone who overcame that suffering on our behalf and is now seated at the right hand of God in glory. And his name is Jesus. Jesus warned his disciples that they would have trouble in the world. We should expect them, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. Our troubles are not the end of the story. Jesus is. The Apostle Peter, who was sitting with Jesus when he spoke these words of hope in the midst of trials to come, echoed Jesus' words some 30 years later in a letter he wrote to the early church family as they were about to experience a period of severe trials and suffering. Peter said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the earth. Peter's first letter is a great place to go to find hope in times of personal vulnerability and suffering. In his commentary on 1 Peter, 17th century Scottish scholar Robert Layton said, this excellent epistle full of evangelical doctrine and apostolic authority is a brief and yet very clear summary of the consolations and instructions needful for the encouragement and direction of a Christian in his journey elevating his thoughts and desires to that happiness and strengthening him against all opposition along the way. We're going to spend some time over the next few months exploring Peter's first letter. My role this morning is to introduce us to this excellent epistle and to encourage us to remember that glorious future hope we have set before us as we travel along our journey of faith. Most scholars agree that Peter composed this letter while living in Rome around AD 62 to 63. 
This was about 30 years after he'd witnessed Jesus' death and resurrection, 30 years in which the gospel had borne much fruit, often out of suffering as the church spread across the ancient world. This was no longer the immature Peter we know from early on in the Gospels. This was a man who had witnessed the incredible expansion of the Gospel from a small group of disciples in Jerusalem to cities and towns across the known world. But this growth had come at the cost of great persecution. The depth and quality of his writing shows that Peter was wisened and matured by his experiences. But yet he was more certain than ever of his future glory in Christ. 1 Peter is a circular letter. It was sent to a group of churches along a trading route in what is modern day Turkey. These churches likely contain both Jewish and Gentile believers. And Peter writes to them with tremendous warmth. His letter bristles with tenderness, love, understanding and huge encouragement all the more meaningful given the trials these churches were facing. I'm going to focus on the first part of Peter's letter today. So I've asked some friends to read to us today from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Es que por medio de la fe son protegidos por el poder de Dios, para que alcancen la salvación, lista ya para manifestarse cuando llegue el momento final. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Sea hallada en alabanza, gloria y honra cuando sea manifestado Jesucristo. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One of the cool things about being online is being able to have friends near and far participate directly with us. So thank you, David, John, Melvin, Daniel, Omar, Dave, Dennis, and Seth, some of our pastors from our Confluence family of churches in the Northeast. God is amazing. Through Jesus's resurrection by faith, we have been born again into a living hope. This hope is vibrantly alive. It has a vigour, a patient endurance and an assurance beyond any human power or circumstance. Such hope can no more fail than the God who bestows it. And this new birth means we're now members of a new family, the family of God. And as his family members, we're eligible for a divine inheritance. Right now, the inheritance my children will one day get isn't looking too rosy. My 401k has shrunk to look more like a 201k. But the inheritance God has prepared for them, and for everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus, is not subject 
to the ravages of the market, nor to corruption or pollution. It is safely beyond the clutches of earthly enemies or evil powers, for it is kept in heaven on our behalf, ready for the day when we are able to claim it. In the opening of his letter, Peter lifts his readers beyond their immediate concerns to help us understand our place within God's eternal purposes. When we face trials, we can rejoice, not because of the bad circumstances, that would be crazy, but because by faith, our place with God is secure. Peter linked our present suffering and our future hope together. Just as he personally witnessed Christ's suffering and death leading to his future resurrection and glory, so our future glory in Christ will follow our personal suffering and pain, no matter how hard it might be or become. The trials Peter's readers were facing were very real, and they were about to get much worse. There's a strong prophetic component to Peter's letter. The church was facing struggles at the time Peter was writing, but they were nothing compared to what was coming. He was preparing them for even harder times ahead. History tells us that under Emperor Nero, in the years that followed Peter's letter, things got much, much worse for the churches. Peter speaks of the grief of the trials we face. Trials may be the result of poor decisions we've made, but often they are undeserved, unexplainably bad things that we have to deal with in our lives. We rightly grieve when we face such trials. Grief is a profound, powerful emotion given to us by God. It allows us to express the depth and breadth of the love we have for something or someone when it or they are torn away from us. And it is ultimately a part of the healing process. But things can seem so dark and hopeless in the middle of these trials. Grief can overwhelm us. It can seem like an ever darkening black hole in our lives in which we can see no purpose and find no escape. But Peter doesn't leave the churches in this dark place. He immediately points to God's eternal purposes, to the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The trials we face are not without purpose and they are not forever, but they are a piece of a much bigger story. In Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins, a hobbit of the Shire, is given the task of going to Mordor to destroy the One Ring, which will forever rid the land of Middle-earth of the Dark Lord Sauron. At one particularly low point in their adventure, Sam and Frodo have been taken prisoner and they've been sent to a ruined city to rot. Frodo had lost hope as to whether or not they would ever be able to finish their quest. Sam Ganji, Frodo's best friend, would not let Frodo remain in his hopelessness. He pointed Frodo to the purpose behind their quest, so far from home, to destroy the One Ring. Here's what Sam had to say. I know it's all wrong. By rights we shouldn't even be here, but we are. 
It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was before so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. Frodo replied, What are we holding on to, Sam? To which Sam said, That there's good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. The hobbits were stuck in the worst place of the story. They had no idea how their story would end. And if it ended at this point, all would be bleak and hopeless. But as lovers of Lord of the Rings well know, the story went on. Tolkien, informed by his Christian faith, takes Sam and Frodo through darkness, suffering and loss to an eventual painful victory. Frodo couldn't see it in the middle of the battle, but there was an ultimate purpose in their suffering. There was a glorious victory that required their suffering and sacrifice. Reflecting on the parallels in Tolkien's masterpiece with the Christian experience in her excellent book, Confronting Christianity, which I can highly recommend, Rebecca McCoughlin concluded, From an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope of a better end to the story, there is no ultimate story. There is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. From a Christian perspective, there is not only hope for a better end, there is intimacy now with the one whose resurrected hands still bear the scars of the nails that pinned him to the cross. Suffering is not an embarrassment to the Christian faith. It is the thread with which Christ's name is stitched into our lives. There is an ultimate story and there is a better ending. And as followers of Jesus, we get to be a part of God's ultimate story for mankind. He chose us to participate with him in his plan for the redemption of the whole world. So I agree with Sam. There is good in this world and it is worth fighting for. Maybe you're watching this service this morning and you've never considered that there's an ultimate story and that God might have a part for you to play in it. Maybe the current situation has brought you to a dark place and you can't see any purpose or meaning behind it. When you look at the universe, you see only blind, pitiless indifference. If that's you, can I encourage you to consider Jesus. Consider the one of whom the prophet Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Consider Jesus who took our sin, sorrow and grief upon himself on the cross. He did it for us. He did it for our transgressions and iniquities. And in doing this, he has brought us peace. The hope of new life for all who trust in him. That can be you today. If you put your trust in him, Jesus said, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. For those that put their trust in Jesus, there is a glorious ending to the story. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope in the darkness. So turn to him today and he will make you a part of his glorious story. Peter understood that the fiery trials the churches were about to face were a necessary step in the journey towards their wonderful joy of seeing Jesus's glory being revealed to the whole world. These very trials made them partners with Christ in his suffering. What a privilege to share in the suffering that leads to glory. In the midst of grief and pain, God graciously assures us that there is a positive purpose in our suffering. God is not the cause of suffering and pain, but he does not want or allow it to be wasted. In fact, Romans 8.28 tells us that he uses every trial for our good if we commit ourselves to him. Peter tells us that these trials prove our faith is genuine. When we suffer, our hope in Christ is strengthened. Trials can destroy those that don't have faith in Christ. But for those that trust in him, the trials of life actually strengthen us. As we reach the end of ourselves, we find that God is there for us. The greater the trial, the more we see our need for God and the closer we draw near to him. God uses trials to stir us to draw closer and closer to him, to trust him more and more. As we do this, we become more dependent on him and less on ourselves. We become more like Jesus. And this results in praise and honour to Jesus. First in our lives, but our response to trials also has an impact on those around us. The world sees God at work in our lives. They see how we act. They see the power of Christ at work in our lives and the rejoicing that that brings in our hearts. God attracts others to himself through our trials. It's incredible to see how the suffering we are facing in the world that we're living in right now has already begun to open hearts 
previously closed to the gospel. Simple acts of kindness and compassion to those in need are melting hearts. Others have reached out in fear and anguish and have found themselves suddenly looking for answers in places they would never go to. God is opening doors in this crisis. So let's be those that keep on doing good, serving the lonely, helping those in need and praying for our neighbours. Do take time this afternoon at four o'clock to join us in walking around our neighbourhoods, praying for our neighbours. Who knows what God will do in the lives of those that you pray for? In closing this morning, I mentioned at the beginning of my message that we are facing unprecedented trials in our world today. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis is about dealing with inconveniences, loneliness, and craving the company of family and friends. But for some in our community, as well as for many around the world, the human tragedy is dire. But there is good news. And that is whatever you are facing right now, God is there with you in it. There is purpose in it. You may not fully understand it, but we do know that when we suffer, we are sharing in Christ's suffering for us. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay to lament what might have been. Let this be a time when you press into God. Let him touch and bring healing, even in the most painful places. This proves the genuineness of your faith and allows God to demonstrate his faithfulness. Our hope is certain because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and so we have a priceless inheritance in him, an inheritance that has been kept by him in heaven for us, beyond the reach of decay and change. Through our faith, God is protecting us by his power until we receive that salvation. We're going to end our time together by bringing honour to our resurrected King. Let's join followers all around the world today in sharing communion together, a meal that Jesus gave us to help us remember him until his glorious revealing to the whole world. Taking communion is for anyone that is following Jesus, even if you've only just made that decision today. But if you're unsure, it's fine for you to just watch what we're about to do together. But I would ask, if that's you, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to be able to help you on your journey of faith. Now would be a good time to pause the message if you need to go and get your bread and wine ready. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces 
and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, this bread represents your body broken for us. As the Apostle Peter tells us, you took our sins onto yourself, giving your body to be nailed to the tree, so that we, being dead in sin, might have new life in you. We eat this bread in remembrance of you. After supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Thank you, Lord, for the new covenant established by your blood, poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We drink this wine in thanks for the unbreakable promise you have made with us, for the living hope we have through your resurrection of a priceless inheritance kept in heaven for us, protected by your power until we receive this salvation in fullness into eternity. Amen.